0: We found that post purchase is, is what works well because there's there's not any risk of backfiring. You've already captured that initial purchase. So, you know, we use an example of like pre purchase, you can, like, you can maybe come off as spammy and, and you could potentially risk losing that initial purchase and then you're out an entire order.
1: Well, the last two episodes were all about mindset, manifestation, and forming good habits, we are back in the trenches with Emily Foreman of Cardhook. Her company transitioned from in-person to remote, an interesting story in its own right. But we emphasize the unique value proposition of Cardhook, which is to ensure your post-purchase part of the funnel is utilized effectively, or rather, at all. Every part of the funnel is important, that part you know. But what I think you'll get out of this episode is as clear an understanding of the importance and opportunity in post-purchase that can be in an hour's time. Emily Foreman, it is. Good to have you here in Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling?
0: I'm doing well, feeling good. It's been a rainy day here in Florida, so it's kind of nice change of pace from the sun.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I hear a rainy day in Florida, uh, just because of what I pick up in the news, it's anywhere between uh, a light showering to... uh, We are currently airborne and we will be landing. (laughs) A
0: torrential downpour. It's either, you know, Florida... If anyone's familiar with it, it goes from zero to extreme in, in, in matter of seconds. So yeah, rainy days is not normal here. Yeah. But one of the
1: things, this is like a, a side note. Um, I, I always ask, you know, how are, how are how are things? How are you feeling? But I also asked that before we're on the recording. But I'm just uh, debating, like, do I want to like just wait on asking that before the recording starts and just be like really like robotic and characteristic? Yes, we will set this up. Anyways, so uh um sometimes I'm a little too self-aware. All right, here we go. Emily, uh, opening question is for you to tell us what do you do and where do you up to these days?
0: My name is Emily and I am the CEO at CartHook. Um, and at CartHook we are a post-purchase offers app that work with Shopify brands to help them elevate their their checkout strategies. So that could be anywhere from increasing their customer lifetime value, increasing their AOV, elevating their conversions. So that's what I do at this desk. is Is kind of help the team build out the best post, post purchase offers app.
1: And yeah, you're uh, so you're remote working, and 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 you and I have a similar situation where most of whom we work with are are are, are, are a few Gathered. bodies of water away. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yeah. So we are, we are all a hundred percent remote as of, I think a few companies that made that shift last year uh, at the start of the pandemic, we just fell into that remote life and it worked out well for us. We had always had uh, two offices. Our, our primary one was in Portland, Oregon, and then we had an office in Ljubljana, Slovenia. So we were very spread out and, uh, over the past year, a lot of us have ventured into new areas of the country. Um, I just recently moved from Portland to Florida, and we have folks on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, uh, Croatia, we're, we're all over. So time zone management is a valued skill here.
1: I mean, I can't help but ask a, a couple of, um, I guess, you know, warm up questions about that. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with two. One of them is when conducting like, you know, a team meetings where people are having them at different times of the day, you have people who are waking up, people who are, um, you know, sleepy, uh, people in the middle of the day. Um, have you, do you notice, say, it, it 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 has an impact on the energy of the meeting and people at different points in their in their psychology for the day?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I haven't noticed that. And, and mainly because a lot of the people on the their teams are typically within a two to three hour time di- difference from one another um, at you. So it, it's the benefit of working with people in a similar time zone. I think more of the struggle is, is in my my seat of where I deal with everyone. So, I'd say for the most part, team meetings are pretty productive because we're all we're all in a similar time zone area. Where it comes, it gets unique is during company meetings. So, all hands, uh, it's the morning for some folks. It's uh, late evening for some, and it's mid afternoon for others. So, it's a very uh, distributed work environment, and and so far, so good. It's been working out really great
1: yeah i'm I, I've been tempted because yeah, I have to do um uh, morning meetings on Wednesdays, and I've been tempted to just like not take any more recordings on Wednesdays uh, just because. You know, there's there's days where I drink coffee for the joy of it. And then there's days like today where I n- actually need a cup of coffee. Otherwise, my my, my levels are all over the place. So uh, we're going to we're going to look at some some stats and some data just to see if there's like, a correlation between the Wednesday recordings and, yeah. and, uh, and the response for them. Test it out. And then the other uh, one that I was wondering, too, and I and I haven't really asked too many like pandemic questions lately. I think for the most part, I got most of those out of my system, but I'm, I am uh, interested about this one, which is when you were meeting uh, in, in person, you know, when you had your offices in in Portland, and I think it's key to, I guess, know how many people were there. So if it was just like two people, I'm not sure yeah, the efficacy no. of the question, but.
0: We had quite a few. So I, you know, at one point there were around 12, 12 of us that were in, in an office. So Carter relatively is a small company. Um, but yeah, at one point there were 12 there twelve, twelve to fourteen people when we were working in in the office. So going from that to your home office was a shift.
1: Yeah, and 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 I have to wonder just about the the you know the change in the creative process because I I do think that a lot can be lost when people are no longer in the same room and are bouncing ideas off each other in a more um, pronounced way. Um, so, and I, I, again, I'm keen to ask about this one too, which is uh, if you had spotted any uh, changes in either dynamic or even in the way people were uh, re- generating ideas um, in-, in person compared to what had to happen afterwards.
0: Yeah, that that too is something that we were kind of always hyper aware of when moving to this remote life now. So there there's this thing of it's, it's hard to differentiate in between when you should be working and when you shouldn't. You know, I think early on, a lot of us were just like, we've got to sit at this laptop. I need to have Slack show that I'm online. I have to like overly communicate what I'm doing and where I'm at. And we kind of ebbed and flowed with how that worked out. There were some points where there was a lack. There was... Silence, right? So you fall into, you know, you're six months into this quarantine lockdown, and it's, you know, mentally exhausting outside of work as well. And so being able to recognize that and acknowledge, like, take breaks. My concern is if you're getting your work done, great. Um, it's harder now too in a remote environment to, yeah, collaborate. You can't just turn and chat with, uh, you know, the director of marketing to ask a simple question. Uh, you want to be thoughtful when you're slacking because you don't want to interrupt somebody in their work week. Even though we didn't think that same way when you're in the office, I'd easily like pop my head over my laptop and flag someone down for a question. You you do miss that kind of a collaborative approach and really kind of chatting with your coworkers on a different level of it doesn't always have to be work. And I think now our interactions are very much questions about work, a little personal chatter in there, but... Really focusing on work and then you're having your work life balance really as a forefront, too. Like, so you're not locked at your desk for 12 hours a day because you're in the same space as it. So, yeah, collaboration. Uh, we have more meetings, which is not terrible. Um, we encourage Slack. Slack communication is huge. That's what we, you know, that's our primary form of communication. But yeah, I have in terms of collaboration, I haven't seen a huge dip, uh, if not an uptick of us just connecting more and talking through more strategy approaches to the product. So it's been interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing I I wanted to share and then uh, we're going to sink into the the functionality of your... By the way, I have... I had a bit of a hard time just locking down exactly what we, I call it, um, app or service or can we yes. call with app? Is that fine?
0: Oh, I call it an app. Yeah. App? Okay. Are, okay. It's, cool. a, yeah. it's a Shopify app. So, or, or a plugin. So right. yeah, app, I love an app.
1: Let's, okay. great.
0: Right. Let's stick with that.
1: One of the things that I, that I noticed is the difference between, you know, being in a, uh, being in a building where, you know, there's, there's shifts and uh, over here, it's really up to me to distinguish my, my shift time from my non-shift time is I, I needed to put some of that pressure back on the table because the the pressure of oh well, I gotta leave at, at four o'clock they're locking the building behind me um, to to make sure that things were getting done. Whereas here, you know, I would wake up and it'd be well, you know, depending on the day, it'd either be at 8 a.m or 6 a.m. And I think, well, I've got all day to to do what I gotta do. And eleven o'clock rolls by. I still got most of the day. So I got.
0: Yeah, take. you don't have PM that energy. Yeah. Well, I
1: don't. I usually go to sleep at eleven. I could push it to twelve. So what I found was by actually starting my shifts in the evening, it recaptured some of that pressure because well, I have to go to sleep. So there had to be a cutoff point for me.
0: Yeah. So did you find it hard for you then to disconnect from work if you're working later and and doing? I don't know if you have like this wind down routine to get. Ready for bed, but I'm similar with you. It's like I can get stuck on the schedule and start working. And then you go to bed and you're just laying and your brain's still just going. Yeah. And, well, you know
1: how uh, when when people are uh, you know, say like in, in kindergarten, how a kid will pour a bunch of paint colors onto a sheet of paper and see, oh, I wonder what color I'm gonna make. And then it all just ends up being like sledgy brownish. Yeah, brown. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my <laughs> yeah. mind. That's my mind a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. It's interesting problem. Um, and it and it pulls solutions from a lot of places because it's about mindset it's about health it's about how i exercise it's about sleep and i think there's a higher degree of um and i don't even have to think it i know it's true of self-discipline of finding the right balance and but it also at the same time it also has helped me identify all of these other problems in my life and because I don't compartmentalize work as easily as I used to because I would you know be in a physical compartment now that there I it's it's led to a lot more self-growth and so in the long run I'm I'm grateful for it but in the short run it's been a mess
0: yeah I would say probably equal it, it was definitely uh, it was a learning curve for sure and I think I, I for one I'm still adapting to it and still figuring out what is a good routine for me um, and what's a healthy balance between working and, and not working.
1: It's a strange thing that we, we, uh, we're, we're evolving to to deal with, but I appreciate being able to talk about it. We're going to uh, switch gears here. So one of the things that I actually really like about doing this show is we, We we can go uh, pretty high-minded. Earlier on this week, I talked to a a second-timer named John Mack, and we actually just talked about manifestation and and spirituality. We don't get to talk about that too often on the show, Um, but we also uh, what we get to talk about today is what I would consider to be one of the more um, specific parts, because we're not just talking about the funnel. We're talking about a key element of the funnel. And what we're going to start with is, the question that I always ask for people who are, you know, um, either representing or, in your case, the CEO slash representative of uh, of your app, which is CardHook, at its inception, what problem was it uh, observing, unique in the marketplace that was going unsolved, and how are how is the process of solving it going?
0: Yeah, so CardHook has a really fun history. So CardHook today is not what it was when it was initially launched. So um, I s- stepped in as CEO earlier this year in January, um, but the company was founded by Jordan Gall. Jordan Gall was the founder and CEO, and he uh, you know, is an entrepreneur, has an entrepreneur mindset, created some online shops, uh, sold that, and, and found in his experience working in e-commerce that there was a gap that needed to be filled with cart abandonment products and apps. So he built Carthook um, that initially was a cart abandonment email tool. Um, but and and in that process of it slowly, you know talking to merchants, familiarizing himself with the industry, shifted into focusing on uh, the entire checkout experience. so the the cart abandonment app was still a thing, but the focus went into the checkout. And so, has been involved into a one-page checkout solution plus post-purchase offers that we allowed merchants who use Shopify to implement a one-page checkout plus a one-click true post-purchase app to their store. I joined in 2018 to start kind of building out the customer success and support teams. Um, And at that point, we, uh, you know, had this really great app. We're evolving in the Shopify ecosystem, had a lot of really great solid brands, but wanted to build out our partnership with Shopify. So late last year, finalized that. And we are now strictly a Shopify app that focuses on the post-purchase offers app. So we um, evolved from giving customers, you know, filling that need of being able to craft a customizable checkout experience to now strictly working off the Shopify app and allowing Shopify merchants to create upsell offers. Bottom line is create new revenue, um, increase their AOV, and you know, it also increase their customer lifetime value. So really allowing the Shopify merchants to be creative with their uh checkout funnels and that starts with implementing post purchase offers.
1: Okay, so um this is one thing that I, w- I wasn't aware of um based of what um my and my producer had looked into which was that initially it was more about um you know car abandonment emails. Now just so that I know is that a factor in it uh, continuously or is it something that you've uh, put aside?
0: That is has been retired. So the cart hook recovery uh, platform is required Uh, retired a few years ago. And uh, and uh, similarly, that's going to happen with our one-page checkout product. So we now refer to that as our legacy product. It's something that is in maintenance mode. All of our uh, focus and investments are going into this new native Shopify app that is strictly just post-purchase focused.
1: I have to, to wonder about the, I guess the the thought process, because for one, why pivot and why not say like set up other apps and see if these other running, because I do uh, understand that there are advantages to having, you know, multiple services so that you can cross pollinate uh, consumer activity. A lot of the other uh, apps that we talked to, for instance, they usually have like, you know, multiple ones. So was it a matter of resources? Was it a matter of, you know, we know how, we know where we're adept at. We know exactly what problem we're focusing on. Um, Yeah, I'm just uh, intrigued about the mindset there.
0: There's a lot of history on that reasoning why and and some that's like, you know, it's the business side of when you're dealing with Shopify. And I think it strictly comes to really wanting to continue to grow our partnership and have access to more the API opportunities that we could get if we built a direct integration out with Shopify rather than our legacy product in gentle terms, let's say it's just a hacky workaround, right? It was a hacky workaround that allowed Shopify merchants to still use Shopify, but our checkout page. And while that had its benefits, it had a lot of hurdles. It was very complex on a technical side to set up. Um, so we're shifting into making, uh, post-purchase offers available, to everyone. So you don't have to have a technical team. You don't need a developer to set it up. So filling that need of anyone who's looking to increase their AOV and their conversions, we have an app for you. It's a, it's a pro it's, it's approachable. It's not so overwhelming as like, you know, one of the first things we talked about for our legacy app was who is your developer? Because you need it. And those are scary terms. And that's why we kind of had a small subset of brands. But now this new opportunity now open up, we a public app on Shopify. So that opens us up to more opportunities in the entire Shopify ecosystem where like you said, that can allow that stacking of different apps to really... Boost a store's tech stack to help them optimize their their store and their checkout experience
1: and you mentioned um, what is uh, I think a pretty significant limiting factor for a lot of people is how heavily involved a developer needs to be in order for somebody to run a, a consistent store. Some of it is um, not really knowing the the value of the developer and respectfully some will take advantage of that some won't um, and, and it goes both ways sometimes the developer doesn't value themselves too much and they end up being taken advantage of so this problems on both sides and so what I what I understand is this is part of a, of a larger strategy that I think Shopify is also working on too which is you know they really they want to, to encourage Anybody who's selling anything to move on to Shopify, I've seen it in their branding. They, they, you know, they focus on showing the significance of, of local stores and how this isn't a replacement for that. This is a way to elevate what they do and to broaden their, their market reach so that they can reach any customer who is a potential buyer of them and not just whomsoever happens to be walking along the block that day.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. It's just making your product more approachable to anyone. Because you're right, the developer side of things, they cannot be cheap and it's a big it's an investment. And if you're a new Shopify store that's just getting started, that's that's an it's just an investment that you can't afford to make at the time.
1: Okay, so this, this this one came to mind, and uh, and and I'm smiling because I think this is going to be really interesting. In speaking broadly about the uh, challenge for someone to say a seller, um, we're just going to say they do textiles because I've always f- found there was a lot of mimic quality in saying uh, textiles, and and they're, and, they're, and they and they want to set up an online store, and the first hurdle is even like I guess getting on the internet, you know, get getting on the Shopify, and there and I, I don't think that um, card hook or any app along those lines gets to be, um, exposed to, uh, at first, usually, you know, Shopify is probably the first thing. So have you uh, identified a, uh, I guess a mental level or a, even on a revenue uh, level at what point people are even starting to discover it. And, and also as well, I want to tie in, understanding the significance of post-purchase. And so to, I guess, dovetail that question is also to you know clarify for everybody just how significant post-purchase really is for anybody who happens to be at that point that I'm saying hypothetically.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I would sort of find to the first, first point, we're not a magic solution that's going to increase your revenue once you install, right? So there's certain things when we take an approach of like the example is we have a new store they just signed up they're they have no traffic to their store they have no revenue they have no sales we're not we're not a good fit so we we fill that need of a store that could be new but they're they've invested already in driving traffic to the store their site so they're fo- they've already got their top of the funnel strategy in place so they've got their ad traffic they have Retargeting in place, they have everything lined up, and they're seeing checkouts happen. So they have you have to be making some sort of revenue in order to kind of implement our app because that helps with your your strategy, right? So when we're talking again to these new accounts, it's you know an easy positioning of implementing post purchase and to see a quick win is understanding also your products, what's your best seller. That's a, a easy win to have as a discounted A a post-purchase offer. So buying one of this, you can have a BOGO too, but you need to have sales in order to be able to then figure out your strategy. So if you're a brand new store, zero sales, we um, aren't going to be a good fit right now, but talk to us in three months when you're seeing, you know, orders come through and you have sales and you can see that momentum growing, then that's the perfect time to jump on and start thinking about your post-purchase strategy because... You don't want to wait. You want to get in on it now, so that can help grow your brand once you really take off and are successful.
1: Yeah, I think this is a, this is exceedingly important takeaway. And one way that I would like to, I guess, to think about it is, uh, I, I was actually expecting to ask you about case studies a little bit later, but now usually when I ask about case studies, I always, you know, defer to uh, client confidentiality, not pointing any fingers. But there was one time where I looked on the website and I saw you know, a, a website, like a business that was being promoted. So I asked uh, the, the guest about the business. The guest is like, well, how did you know about that? Like, cause it's on your website. And he's like, oh, we got to, oh, we website. got okay, yeah. okay. Cut, we got to, we got to, <laughs> yeah. like texting somebody. He's like, we got to cut this out. So with that in mind, I would like to, uh, I guess, uh, contextualize uh, some of your answer is if, uh, as far as you can divulge, what has uh, stuck out to you as an ideal example of when people should be signing on?
0: A customer example that we have is this one is not a case study, but a brand that is very well known. That was a deodorant brand, so they were a customer of us. So a direct-to-consumer deodorant brand that used our products, um, and they only had one offer, and it was a very simple offer of a trial size of deodorant, and that's all. That's all it was, and it was extremely successful in the conversion rate because it just made sense so again you it was a brand that was pretty well established so it had been around i want to say launched a year ago really invested a lot in the marketing so they got their brand well established and then they're taking a look to say how now how can i make more money (laughs) right so how can i take what i'm doing now and implement it and it's a, a simple task of they had the traffic they had the checkouts they had that revenue and implementing a simple two dollar travel deodorant um converted at around i want to say the last check was it was around like 70 percent. so it's 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 again when we go back to your initial question on who is this the right fit for it is kind of all across the board but you have to know you have to know your store. You have to know your product. And so I hope that, that helped answer your question without, yeah, names, but yeah, it's, it's, it, that that's probably our biggest win. And we have several other, like a large, um, you know, D to C brand that's in the golf club industry. So it's a high priced item. Um, but it works well with post-purchase. Because it's they, they're filling it in with an accessory.
1: Now, um, would you say that your your target market um, is uh, largely B two C, or is there a a B two B component as well?
0: Yeah, so we're we're primarily direct to consumer. That's our good sweet spot. So um, that works out really well. That works out with um, our kind of. I wouldn't. When I'm trying to think of, do we have a sweet spot with an industry like health and wellness? Does really well. We have. We have a few. Uh, consumables that do really well. So it's kind of all over the place on in the industry side of things on who works, who works great. It's, it's, it's again, understanding your product and then anything can work.
1: Well, I'd like to share uh, an, an assessment that I had with it uh, again in when I was uh, looking into this. So uh, being a, 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 a millennial, uh, there are certain brands that love marketing to me. And one of them is Magic Spoon. And I've, I've been on the, I've been on the cusp a few times, uh, uh cheerios is a hard act to follow, but you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, if you're listening, magic spoon, don't give up. Um, and, and I saw that, you know, that was one of the ones that you would use as a, uh, as an example. So what I was trying to ascertain about the, uh, the post-purchase, um, component is somebody comes onto the website, they want to buy cereal. Now Ma- magic spoon as a, as the post-purchase offer is the, uh, you know, the bowl <laughs> with the, with the spoon. I was intrigued by that because I was trying to understand, I guess, the strategy there. And in addition to just offering the product, is there something else that they're trying to accomplish as well? Like for instance, in that, I think what they're also trying to do is also continuing to market the lifestyle. So I think for a lot of people in the interest of, you know, trying to figure out what maturity even looks like these days is uh, actually tend to avoid cereal. And mostly just, you know, toast and eggs or whatever it is so part of it is selling people on that uh, you know that that joy of coming back to eating a bowl of cereal and as somebody you know I, i'm not gonna lie like i i do get nervous a lot of the times before my morning interviews or frankly before all of them um i, I have no problem to admitting that as i've done um no less than 12 times and one of the few things that actually gets through is cereal because it's technically, uh, to me, it's technically a soup. So, th- so all of that aside, let's just be fun, having fun talking about it, but on top of the, 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 the product. So I go onto that website and, you know, I might order a cereal, like, you know, once, uh, once a month, uh, every two months, are they going to continue trying to market the same product? Is that the most advantageous thing they're going to do? And then the other thing that I was also wondering too, is, you know, what else can people convey? when, uh, in addition to selling their product, again, along the lines of what kind of, is it their brand that they want to convey? How do they get more, uh, really get more out of the, the post-purchase offer? So much so that even the offer is a
0: win, even if they don't take it. Yeah, so that's a, it's a that's a great great point too. And we we're speaking about, uh, yeah, Magic Spoon and any really sort of consumable in this this category is, you know, you're right. How What are the likelihood of, of am I going to buy uh, same box of the cereal I just purchased. But I don't know if you noticed when you're on magic Spoon's site is, so they have one time purchase that you can purchase just one time, but they also have subscriptions. So a big benefit and a big win of something that we're working on building out with Shopify and a few of our brands is that upsell to a subscription. So upselling what you've just bought, your cocoa puffs, uh, the offer could be get to the next get your three months for fifty percent off. So that's that's the the shift point of not only are they increasing that checkout revenue, but they're uh, increasing their customer lifetime value by converting that order into a subscription. So that's the kind of the focus when we are looking at that that specific type of brand is you're right. That's not going to be like get the same box for a discounted rate. But when we think of strategy, it could be also then bundled offers. So different kind of approaches to the cereal that are a little bit outside of the box instead of just a discounted rate of the same thing. So subscriptions is is going to be huge and, and a huge part of Magic Spoon's kind of strategy, um, mm-hmm. not only with their checkout and themselves.
1: As, as you were describing this too, I did pull up the uh, the Magic Spoon uh, website because one thing I was wondering is if that bowl that they were working on was even visible. Just you know taking a using half my brain to do that and then the other half of the brain to continue to listen to. I can't I can't see it. it and maybe if I dig a little bit deeper, I might spot it. but um, that and and yeah, I, I was actually quite surprised by that. So there's actually is an, I think an element of surprise and delight. Where there is, hey, we also we also have this, and then to comment on um, what you're describing with the subscription. So what I like about that is, it's not the kind of thing I see working on first purchase, especially because well they got to try it first and they they have to like it first. But then they they do it again, and then they do it again, and then they realize it's become routine for them, and they're already thinking maybe I should uh, I could get a subscription. That subscription they've been showing me like the other three times. It's gonna save me time, and it's gonna save me money, so I'm at this point, I'm silly not to do it and so and i and I think that's where there's a lot of strength here, which is just um being able to market to somebody who has uh committed, but not everybody is committing at the same level based off their prior activity
0: yeah, which is exactly what you you know merchants or or shop owners should always be thinking about that so. Targeting, like you said, I'm also like you, I'm not likely to fall into a subscription on my first initial purchase, but understanding your customer data and taking a look at, okay, this, this cohort of people have purchased from us multiple times. So the next time, you know, and, and creating like a criteria and I'm gonna I'm saying this and this isn't something that our app can currently do, but what would be cool and, and things that we're looking into is more kind of AI recommendation pieces based off of shopper history or creating funnels based off of specific criteria of what the shopper first purchased or what they previously purchased or how much revenue you've gotten from that specific customer is all things like as I see the trends going in not only post-purchase, but in e-commerce, it's getting a lot to really customizing the shopper's experience, not only from purchase, but post-purchase post purchase thinking of i've already got the product and now 6 months later i'm getting a text that's telling me i need to renew or purchase my product again like that's where it's going and that's fun to see that happening and it does kind of starting with building that customer loyalty with really strategically thinking out what offers you want to display and what's your end goal what are you hoping to accomplish once you've got that purchase
1: yeah and and i think in a way with um, any brand that I like any, especially any e-commerce brand that I've, uh, purchased in, in the last little while. Um, wh- one example, uh, my YouTube counterpart, um, uh, Connor, he recommended this thing called mud water, which is a, it's like a, it's a, it's a, I mean, to, to not to be pejorative about it, but it was a coffee uh, substitute, um, a lot less caffeine, but they make up for it with a lot more, um, be healthier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exa- not so exactly. Jittery. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what
1: I've found is, so I. I haven't made up my mind yet if I want to keep using it because if I'm being honest, I, uh, I have um, I so use coffee quite a bit uh, more so yeah. than is healthy for somebody with my anxiety <laughs> levels. But that, but, but all that aside, I get a lot of emails from them, and what I think the it's the issue on their side is that as soon as somebody makes one purchase, they've become a subscriber at least in the hypothetical sense because now they're receiving the newsletter they're potentially receiving offers they are becoming immersed in the lifestyle and so you have this clash of like multiple lifestyles all vying for a consumer for consumer intention so i think the onus is on the seller to ch- get more renewals out, out of them or to add more value to the renewals that they're already getting because if i don't order anything from them ever again i'm so the longer this goes on the more value i'm getting out of them for uh, a lot less money that i had spent
0: yeah. Cause you're immediately just opting in because you've made a purchase. You're opting into all of their channels of communication. So, um, yeah, it really is. I kind of, I'm kind of with you on that. I've made a few one-time purchases from stores and that is years ago and I'm still getting communication from them. I mean, my defense, I could opt out, but it is like, I want to see kind of what, what I can get. So I don't know if they're
1: I like the archival uh, element of emails so that if I, for instance, I talk about man to sleep all the time because uh, I I use her sleep mask. And uh, at this point, there is so much information on sleep. Now, mind you, I haven't read most of the content, but I do love (laughs) the idea that my email inbox is basically like a library now where I just have all of this um, reference material for all of these different all these different products, not just that, even podcasts that I've subscribed to, too. Even if I'm not listening to each episode, I sign up for the newsletter, I'm getting new episodes and there's reference material and all there. So it's uh, our our emails have actually become a a treasure trove of information over the long run. Here's one of the big things that I was um, wondering about. And this is um, in regards to the psychology of post-purchase. Now, one of the things that I like to do whenever possible is related in some way to the in-person experience that somebody might have when they go to a, a brick and mortar store. And I've been on both sides. Like I've, I've worked retail and then I've also been a customer of retail and I, I, I still remember, and I still get, um, you know, nightmares once in a while of trying to do like upsells and try to talk customers into something that they may not have intended to come in and get that day. Like somebody's looking for a watch and say, like, you know, what would go well with that watch purse mm-hmm. for your wife? Yeah. Like so the hard part for me, and by the way, this is not actually related to um, what we're talking about in. And aggregate. I just want to get out of my system. Which is the hard part <laughs> for me was it was uh, rather disingenuous. Um, oh yeah. For the most part, I you know customers. They knew what they wanted to, and I felt I was doing my best when I was guiding them to the right call. So that that uh, that aside, I cannot for the life of me um, think of a equivalence for post purchase because generally speaking, once people have um, committed to the purchase, they're they're on their way out. So we'll, we'll break this on to a couple of, uh, questions and a couple of points for you to raise. One of them is, uh, the, I guess, resistance, or if this was something that it may have actually been a surprise like, oh, well, wow, this is actually working consumers after they've paid they're they're willing to um, commit to continued payments. Um, the second point that I, I welcome you to raise is, is there an equivalent to this? Cause I don't think there is. I think this is very specifically an e-commerce thing.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. Very specific to e-commerce. And there's a lots of different ways in e-commerce to present offers. And so we found that are, you know, in cart hook side, it's post-purchase, but I don't know if you, uh, you know, in your checkout experience have experienced pre-purchase. So before you make your checkout, there's an offer. Um, there's also thank you page offers. So after you've gone through entire things, but we've found that post-purchase is, is what works well. Um, because there's, there's not any risk of backfiring after the, uh, you're, you've already captured that initial purchase. So, you know, we use an example of like pre-purchase, you can, I think maybe come off as spammy and, and you could potentially risk losing that initial purchase and then you're out an entire order. But with the post-purchase side of things already captured the initial order, there's no risk of like backfiring on the post-purchase offer. Um, there's also far less friction when it comes to post-purchase uh, with cart hook. It's just one click. It's a, It's yes, add this to my initial order and they go on with their day. Um, All all, also less friction because there's, you're not presenting them with a ton of offers, right? So you've crafted this personalized, hopefully this personalized experience for someone who has just checked out on your store um, that allows the likelihood of them to accept that offer. It's a more, it's a, a gentle way of introducing a product to Add to the shopper's initial cart to again help increase your AOV and increase that customer lifetime value.
1: Yeah, I think what, I think you r- raise a lot of important points there, especially about how um, much um, f- how you can only front load so much information for the customer, and it actually would make it harder for them to make up their mind rather than um, their mind already made up and they're they're in a different uh, state at that point. And then bringing back what we we had talked about about some of the some of the brands is the surprise and delight factor in offering, um, uh, products or, or services that they might not have actually encountered. So it's hey, now you're, you're part of an exclusive club. Now here's something that other people aren't going to know about. So I think that it, it ties into the psychology of it. Um, and so, and so my, my next question is exceedingly granular and specific. Um, cause one thing I was just wondering about is the, the way it measures the average, uh, order value. I think what you said was they can add it into their previous order. So does that mean that, say, for instance, I, I buy something and it's $50 and then I I get the post-purchase, I agree to it. Now that one purchase is now $100, or is it, I, I mean, if people have the option to, can they also split it into two
0: purchases? A good question. Um, how it works for us um, and within Shopify is to the shopper, it appears as one complete order, right? So... I've purchased my sandals and I get my clutch add-on clutch with that all initial order Um, on the Shopify side with some coding and and use of their API, we combine it then in Shopify as one order. So there's the initial and then there's post-purchase. And so for the the merchant, it's easy on the fulfillment side because everything is is all parsed in as that one order. Yeah. And there's no, the the shopper also doesn't need to add in their credit card again. So it's a very, uh, just a seamless step of like, all right, yeah, this feels like a really good deal. Like you can yeah, go off of that, the FOMO fear of missing out. Like, well, you're right. What if this is just a deal just for me? Uh, I'm just going to take it and, and then, you know, go go on with my day. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, so I, I, and again, I'm just, I'm just, uh, saying this back just so that I can uh, process it, uh, accurately and apologies. It is drilling season here in my apartment is the, the, that, the the actual transference of the money is actually on hold. So if somebody clicks pay now. Uh, they the 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 money hasn't actually transferred yet. Um this is where uh card hook comes in and says actually we got this i got get this for you. And yeah like hold on. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um uh, maybe maybe next time. So they say no and then the money goes through or they say yes and then that that is added on to it. So that's that's rather seamless.
0: Yeah. So you know nitty gritty of it is yeah Shopify kind of hangs on to that payment token until a certain period of time that, you know, it's because someone can also close out of the offer, right? And we still want that initial order to go through. So after a certain period of time, if something's abandoned, then it just completes the transaction. But you're right. Yeah. We hang on to that payment token, get them through the entire funnel, and then everything's wrapped up the bow sent over into Shopify for fulfillment.
1: Perfect. Super, super clarity right there. So, and also one of the things that you had mentioned is so when the, when the customer is thinking, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on this. This might be a, a special offer for me. So, on on that note, is what is the flexibility of determining what product is going to be offered to what customer? Uh, what what metrics do you have, or does the seller have at their disposal to uh, maybe differentiate what who's offered, who's being offered what?
0: Yeah, it, it, again, it depends on the uh, store owner understanding their products um, as recommendations for people just getting started. Like I mentioned earlier, like an obvious choice is just um, using like your best seller. So trying that out, but it's really up to the store owner to really create the funnel criteria. I think a great way to, uh, it's not an immediate win on the revenue side of things, but building that brand loyalty, that customer lifetime value is offering like a free, a free product. So it could be a free new sample of, you know, work with several beauty brands. And that's a great way for them to announce new products is with a free trial. So that's, you know, there's lots of different ways to kind of incorporate the the post-purchase offers with the products that you have uh, you can see if you have a again high converting or if you're high bestseller, that should be a post-purchase offer. Think of along the lines, if your inventory is high for a certain product that's not selling that much, maybe that's an offer at a discounted rate. Or if you're moving product to, you know, get ready for a new product release, that product release could be like a free offer or discounted rate. So all of that is you know tracked in two places. They need to obviously pay attention in their Shopify analytics of their conversion rate, but then within our app we have data as well on like your top converting post purchase funnel, you know revenue that you've gained from that funnel so it allows you to really kind of take all of those data points to either create a funnel, set it and forget it or create multiple ones and see what happens.
1: So my next question, and this is one that's uh, come to my mind uh, organically, and I also recognize the inherent silliness of this, but I'm just going to go for it anyways, which is what would happen if somebody wanted to use multiple post-purchase apps? Is there a a viable reason for that? Or are they going to have to decide on which one is best for them?
0: Yeah. Well, one, they can't do it because yeah, it's like Shopify wouldn't know like which one to fire. So you would, you you would have to pick one. So you can have multiple ones installed, but how Shopify works is you have to like select, well, which one do I want to be active right now um, and set that one active.
1: I see. Okay. Uh, And then one more granular follow-up to that. So let's just say, for instance, that um, hypothetically, there might be a specific offer that I could use a different, uh, upsell app for. And so it would activate under that condition, but then the remaining conditions would be active on another one. Or is it that, and sorry, you can't do that. You're going to have to stick to one.
0: Yeah, no. Cause you know, the, maybe it's a cool thing. Maybe it's not, but all, all, all of my competitor apps were all built on the same API structure. So yeah, it would have to, it's an either, or you can have multiple ones installed, but in order for the correct API to know when to fire, you have to have that app enabled.
1: Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad I got to ask that one that way. I, I know again, it's kind of like, the, yeah, that's a very specific scenario, but yeah. Uh,
0: it comes up daily in support interactions because it makes sense. You, people are testing out different products to see what they can do. And they are, they're like, I want to AB test this product with this app this product with yours, like, it's not working. It's like, well, yeah, that's a great idea, but you can't do it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, I I guess I would expect it to come up. I'm surprised to hear it comes up every day. All the
0: time. Every day, all the time. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Now that Shopify has upgraded to version 2.0, we needed to make sure we were up to speed. So we've released version 4.0 to ensure that we're 100% equipped to take advantage of the 2.0 revolution. If you haven't upgraded your store, head on over. And if you haven't gotten started, now's as good time as any. All right. So, so the next one that um, we wanted to make sure we talked about too were um, you know what are our top performing verticals. And I, I usually understand how a vertical works in context, but I'm actually not clear on what would be a top, how the top performing verticals are so much so that you might have already answered the question just based off the conversation we've been having so far. So could you help me contextualize this, like what actually makes something a vertical and then what are the top performing ones?
0: Yeah. And the vertical, how we look at verticals on our side is breaking it out into uh, like industries. And so we're and we use that in the mar- uh, marketing as well. So we are still relatively a new app and still working on getting that data point of what vertical works best or what's a top converting vertical in, in our ecosystem. Um, I'd say right now it's definitely in the direct to consumer in the consumables. So that could be a, uh, vitamin C- CBd gummies do really well it's kind of whatever is on trend now at, at, even outside of e-commerce so think of like gummies the health and wellness gummies are huge right now and they're doing really well with us because that's where the market is focused at the moment um we find that uh beauty brands and kind of the beauty industry and vertical work well with us as well like health and wellness it's all over you know it's each vertical does work well, it's that person owning that specific brand needs to know what they want to accomplish and, and understand like their strategy in implementing post-purchase offers. But, um, we have food, like you've seen food with magic spoon. We have several food brands that have come to us like Frags, apple cider vinegar that works well. So it's, it's just, it's hard to pinpoint like what vertical works well. Hopefully we'll have that data points uh, coming into 2022 once we have a full year under our belts of having this app running.
1: Okay, I mean uh, the the follow up question I had to that, but again, I also recognize that it might not be crystal clear yet. But have you also uh, spotted which verticals are currently struggling with making this work?
0: No, we haven't, and that's something maybe we should look into. Uh, (laughs) But that's not currently a data point. That yeah, we haven't looked into because again, we're we're approachable. We're trying to well, a fun kind of uh, workshop we're doing internally as now you know Black Friday Cyber Monday is big in e-commerce. So we are at the halfway, over halfway point to Black Friday. Um, and so internally as a team of how we initially built out this product, we had our ideal customer persona built out. Um, that's shifted since we are now seven months into launch. So we're, we're doing kind of a workshop of taking a look at different data points and that's customer churn. So. Uh, you know, what are the, typically when we look at stores who install our apps and then uninstall same day, that's going to help us silo it down into, is this a specific vertical? Is it something we talked about earlier on in the conversation? Are these new stores that don't have revenue? And so doing this kind of workshop will help us then craft like this ideal customer uh, persona that will not only help us on the marketing side, but then product to make sure we're building the product for the right, that right kind of subset of, of Shopify merchants.
1: I got a couple more um, uh, questions that I'm, that I'm wondering about. Um, And one of them is actually, I guess, more about your, your own brand strategy. Um, This uh, ties into some of the stuff that we established earlier on again, bringing magic spoon uh, once more into the crucible, which is when, you know, using that one in particular as part of your, you know, your pitch. Is a magic spoon. I, I don't, I don't have their data on hand, but I presume they're doing pretty well. Um, they found, they found a, a, a target market that's working very well for them. So you know, uh, hats off to that. So obviously, su- success is one metric that would uh, go great when pitching the uh, efficacy of your app to others. But I'm also wondering too: is is there a, something about the mindset or the tone or the vibe of the brands that are being uh, presented to that? Uh, allow you to show a side of the company you you want to make sure people are aware of?
0: Yeah, that is a good question. And maybe I'm not 100% following what my answer should be. So you're just looking for like on our approach when we're marketing towards bringing on example, like more of the magic spoon type stuff. Yeah, that uh, comes with our messaging a little bit. We try to definitely position ourselves to I'll probably, this will change once we've finished this kind of research we're doing on the ideal customer persona, but that more enterprise level, more established brands that we work well with, um, yeah, magic spoon is one of them. So that's definitely kind of how we shift when we're looking at our, our brand strategy and who we're marketing to. Again, all of this could be a total wash when we look at the data on who our ideal customer is. But historically, how we have done it is really positioning it towards that agency Agencies that are building out, you know, we have some that work with celebrities, building out celebrity brands. And so we partner with them to help them uh, add this into their tech stack when creating the new Shopify Plus accounts for these merchants. So yeah, we, we, we try to also pump out, like we've talked about before, tons of case studies, blog posts. We like to do... We are big on the partner relationships. So really creating an experience when it comes time for our success team to demo on why CartHook. hook um, is we want to become these industry leaders in your post-purchase strategy. So that's it's siloing in on that is, is, is we want to do that. and We want to do it really well.
1: Yeah, I, I, I once in a while uh, a question of mine, like it's it's like seventy percent clear, and like oh no, well wow, what have I done? Well, so, no,
0: it also could have been me too. I was like, I mean, I'm following it, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, well, I, 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 I appreciate that. So yeah, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there because um, we we're, we're we're closing in on the hour, so I don't have uh, too much time left with you. Um, so uh, here's my here's my uh, uh, final agenda. Uh, number one, another thing that I always want to do in these circumstances is just make sure that if there was a stone left to be unturned, I'd want to give you a chance to unturn it. If there's anything else you want to let us know about it, maybe something I forgot to ask, uh, I will uh, give the floor to you to just uh, make sure that we're all clear.
0: Yeah. I mean, this was a great conversation. And I don't know if this is my time to like pitch if anyone's interested in finding out more about Carthook and how we can help your brands uh, increase your store's AOV. Um, they can uh, head over to carthook.com. We offer a 14-day free trial. There's no risk to that. Uninstall. You're not charged. But yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun and, and a really fun podcast. So I appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm uh, I'm glad to hear that. I take responsibility for that because uh, uh, I there was like one other question that I was I was going to ask, um, but it was it's like it's not quite on topic because um, it's, it's a, what I wanted to ask you about the sustainability. Um, so for people, yeah. oh, uh, yeah. I recommend they they go to the heart card blog. There's there's a lot of good information there, and the sustainability one stuck out to me um, because I think usually what uh, brands, regardless of their size, they get into is this notion that if they put too much of their resources into acquiring more high quality materials, it starts to limit their profit margin to the point where they actually aren't profitable. So I, I just wanted to get, I guess the Notes take on it from, from your point of view is what have you seen to actually contradict this or counteract this? And at what point is um, the sustainability actually not only you know, good for good's sake, but also uh, helpful to the long-term growth of a business?
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's it's one like you said, it's the right thing to do. It's something that I think every business should be conscious of. It's a lot. There's a lot of sustainability issues when it comes to two day shipping. We can see Amazon has made changes in that front of of longer shipping times to cut down on uh, carbon emissions. And so it's one thing that it's always good to be hyper aware of. Is it more expensive right now? Yes, but if more brands start Picking up and being more socially uh, conscious, that it could lower costs of getting recyclable material that you can ship in. Having a little bit longer shipping days, I've I've experienced that recently, and. You know, it was definitely a shift. I'm so uh, a shift in my mindset to just be like, oh, I want it. Well, I want it in 24 hours, and then realizing and kind of doing my own personal resources on one the carbon emissions from airlines and all that. That shipping is insane. Then not only the product waste that comes into just additional packing materials. So I think it's a. Hope this trend continues, and yeah, like you mentioned, we have a really great blog post that we did with Ecocart. Um, they're strictly focused on helping brands become more socially aware of the environmental impact of uh, e-commerce, kind of the the shipping world. So I hope to see those costs go down, and I think the more people that adapt to it, the the more likelihood that that will happen.
1: And one thing that I'll I'll touch on on that as well is that. I I actually kind of enjoy uh, waiting, not too long, but I do enjoy the anticipation uh, of something I'm like, oh, yeah, when's that book ending here? Oh, my God, it's finally here. So, yeah,
0: yeah that's, I think it's yeah. it's this shift we've been so used to over the past few years as a, as a millennial mindset of having things and having it now. Um, I'm so used to it. Yeah, it's like your phone, my phone is connected to my hand at all times. And so I'm so used to having anything I want right now that it is, it's like, all right, I can't, I'm not going to die if i don't have this tomorrow and if it helps just a little bit in preserving this world that we have this planet that we have like why not yeah yeah yeah
1: and um it's not a, a shipping related but uh, somewhat related in my point about anticipation you know i booked a getaway for uh, myself and my girlfriend and it's another like 55 days away uh so these next 55 days are more exciting for having something to to wait for so to look
0: forward to yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. We're all good to go. We're going to wrap this uh this bad boy up. Um, you did um, uh, let the customers know or let our audience know. Potential customers, not going to lie. Yeah,
0: potential. Uh, yeah. Where, uh, <laughs> uh,
1: how, how to reach you guys out. So um, with that uh, checkbox checked, there is one other thing that I, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to do is if there's like a piece of advice or a Chinese proverb or like a saying that's been sticking out to you lately that you want to share, you're more than welcome to. Otherwise, we will uh,
0: get you on out of here. Oh, awesome. I wish I had one. I don't. But now you're, you're leading me into thinking I should probably have have some sort of grand statement to to end things with. But
1: so it's all good. I'll uh, I, I usually have something to cover just in case. So I, yeah. you know, I I've chambered a few just <laughs> yeah. in case. Um, yeah. So so one that make I'll make one
0: up for me. <laughs> uh, I'll,
1: I'll share for from our audience is it takes getting better to admit when you were worse. So I think I mean I came to this conclusion from more of a creative point of view. It's it's about like oh this is this is pretty good and you know people would uh, would uh, uh, would criticize it and be like you don't know what you're talking about, and then I would get better. I'm like okay I understand what you're talking about now, and it's a very difficult uh, mindset to uh, to get through um, because I think the overcorrection to that is just thinking everything is terrible all the time and never believing in our in our work and that's not good either. So what I've come to is thinking this is my best work yet. The yet is the asterisk. It's the, it, this, I will get better, but this is also the best that I can do in the situation that I'm in. And so, uh, that was actually the last one I had. I like I'm going to have to get another one ready before uh, my next interview. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: yeah, awesome. Well, this was a lot of fun.
1: Glad to hear. Uh, it's, uh, it, I, I, I have, a. I just, I'm just happy to have this, uh, this position, um, gets to, 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 to meet great people and to I, be a part of a solution and rather than being part of a problem, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. people, they've, exactly. they've had a lot of struggles and I think giving people an opportunity to bring out the marketer in them is, uh, is changing a lot of lives, not just the seller, but also the people that they're selling to. Yeah. So go, <laughs> yeah. go e-commerce. Yeah. Awesome. All right. To my audience. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to collect this information and provide with all of you. Oh, I was so close. I almost got it right that time. With that, we will check in soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoyed this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.